I think an angel just lost his valentine or something <laughs> like that. Fair warning, we baptize phones in this church. So The whole book of Galatians is dealing with the fact that um, having received the grace of God, having embarked on their new life in Christ by faith, the Galatians now um, had begun to slip back into religious formalism and legalism. And they were in danger of, of losing that grace that God had given to them. So Paul's wrestling with them. He's dealing with them. And um, in the middle of the book of Galatians, in chapter 3, where we're going to read, he gives a little historic perspective about how God first came to Abraham and promised to bring salvation to mankind by promising that, that Abraham would be blessed and his descendants, and specifically one of his descendants, one of Abraham's sons, ahead, down through time, would be God himself who would come through Abraham's descendants and bring salvation into the world. And so he makes this promise to Abraham in the form of a covenant. And Abraham clings to that covenant. And he's looking ahead for that grace that will come and heal the brokenness that sin has brought between us and the Father because our relationship with God was broken. So he's giving this history and he says how that after God made this promise to Abraham about a son who would come and would bring salvation to us, 430 years went by. And Abraham and the others, his descendants of faith, died stretching out, reaching ahead for that promise, but not having obtained it. They died in faith, looking for it to come. And 400 years went by, and the children of Israel became slaves down in Egypt. And down in Egypt, as they were under Pharaoh and and had drifted away from God, God raises up Moses and sends Moses to them to deliver them. And having delivered them out from under the dominion of Pharaoh, as they're passing through the wilderness into the promised land, God offers to have relationship with them. And he wants to meet with them. And there they are at Mount Sinai. And the Lord says, I want you to come up the mountain and I want all of you to meet with me. I want to introduce myself to you. And I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my children. It's going to be great. But the children of Israel said, we're a little nervous about, you know, meeting God, having a relationship with Him. You see, what had happened was, the nature of sin is darkness. And the darkness in them didn't feel comfortable coming into direct contact with God. So they said basically to Moses, do you think instead you could go up there and kind of just write something down. Give us something. Find out what God wants. We're probably better at following instructions than we are. We're not comfortable with this kind of, you know, face-to-face -face with God. So God said, well, all right, I'll give you something. And Moses comes back down with beginning with the Ten Commandments and then the law. And the Bible talks about how that God provided them with the law. And if they kept the law, they would be perfect. They didn't want relationships, so God said, all right, I'll give you the law. And of course, God knew there was absolutely no way that they were going to be able to keep the law. The law wasn't given to actually heal their broken relationship. And we'll talk about what it was given for in a moment. However, for the next about 1,400 years, Israel lived inside this 
this cast. How many of you have ever broken a bone and had a cast put on? I've had some casts on my arms and legs. And so they, uh, uh, they lived in this hard cast called the law. They got very used to the law. In fact, they embraced the law as their relationship with God. And, and they lived inside that rigid cast. But see, God did not forget His promise. Salvation was never to come through the cast. The cast was never given to save them or to heal sin. Now, when I've had a cast on my broken leg or broken arm, um, that cast would immobilize me while my bones mended. But the, what's broken in man is our relationship with God. And the broken bone of sin can't heal itself. So the cast was never going to hold them in place until they just by themselves healed. They just remained broken and in pain and separated from God. But 1,400 years after the law is given, here comes the promised child, the promised son of Abraham, Jesus Christ. And who is he? He is the father. He is the I am who spoke to Abraham and said, I will send you a son. And to Moses, he elaborated, I'll be that son. I will come. I will be that promise. And so when Jesus comes, he is the I am that spoke to Moses and to Abraham. And so Jesus Christ comes, and we know the story that as people begin to follow him, and it became evident that he was leading them out of the cast. As they followed him, they would be led out of the cast that he came into direct conflict with the religious hierarchy of his day, feeling threatened that he was going to take that cast off. Remember, they had bonded to that thing. They were used to it. And just as their forefathers didn't like the idea of having to go freestyle before God, they liked something to, you know, how you ever notice, those of you that are on the internet, I don't know why, but cat people love to put these little clips on of cats. I've even seen lions and tigers climbing into little boxes. They love to get into little places where they feel confinement equals security. So just as their forefathers, the Pharisees, were very threatened by the idea, well, you're, you're going to let the people out of this box? You're going to let the people out of this cast? And Jesus, of course, all in the plan of God, ends up the victim of a plot and of murder and he's put to death but the whole thing has been orchestrated in the will of God and in that death he gives himself as the son who will come take our sins away he is the healing of that breach between us and the father he says I'm going to pay the penalty and in me if they receive me I will give them my inheritance which is a reunited and reformed and restored bond with the father I will Give them my gift of sonship. When Jesus was raised up from the cross, he was welcomed in heaven as the triumphant son. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And he gave that gift as an inheritance. The inheritance that was promised to Abraham comes in Jesus. So Paul goes through this uh, history and the scripture that I'm going to read to you. I wanted to give you a little of that background so that when you read it, you knew what we were talking about. Beginning Galatians 3, 16. God gave the promises to Abraham and to his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say, quote, to his children, 
as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says, to his child, and that, of course, means Christ. This is what I'm trying to say, Paul goes on to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Why then was the law added? Excuse me, why then was the law given? It was added. Everyone say added. added. It was added. It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was the promise. Let's jump down to verse 23. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it in another way, Paul says. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith, everyone say the way of faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there are a couple of themes that step out of this scripture that I want to just call your attention to. The first is that man's relationship with God was broken by sin. That's what sin broke. It did bring us into a state of perpetual failure, moral failure. But what was actually broken was not a code of morality, but our communion, our oneness with God. Sin cost us our relationship and it produced separation. And so I want you to think about, that's why I've used this analogy of the cast, that we were broken. Our fellowship with God specifically, our relationship with Him, is what was broken. And that is what needed to be healed. The second thing is that the break doesn't heal itself. When I've broken, as I said, bones, I'm sure if you've broken bones, they heal themselves. They set it, put a cast on it, but the break, the break of man's relationship with God will not heal itself, either with time or with going to church or with listening to the right kind of truth or ideas. The break of sin will not, of itself, recover or heal itself. The other thing I want you to see in this is that God promises, therefore, to heal us. Because we can't heal ourselves, He says, I will heal you. And He promises Jesus, I will come and I will heal you. That's the promise. That's the inheritance. Your break can't heal itself, but I love you and I will heal you. Until that promise comes, the next thing this scripture brings out is that until that promise comes, a cast is applied to the break, not to heal, but to keep the break from worsening while we're waiting for the healing to come. You understand? That cast is there to keep Israel from worsening, from uh, going farther from God, from making their situation worse. And so that is what the law was intended for. It was to 
put them in touch with the reality that their fellowship with God was broken. What God intended with all those laws was for Israel to just basically come to the conclusion that my relationship with God is, is damaged and broken and I can't heal myself. And every time I try to keep the law, I'm confronted with that reality that I can't do it. Therefore, what's the conclusion? I'm waiting for the healer. The whole objective of the law was to get Israel to say, God promised Abraham he would heal us. God promised that he would deliver us from sin. He would bring our relationship back into right standing. And so I'm looking for that to happen. I'm looking for God to do for me what I can't do for myself. I'm ready to embrace it when it comes. I'm ready to jump in and take hold of it and make use of it. God's going to restore my broken fellowship. That's what the law should have done. So that cast is put on, and that cast is basically called keeping the law. Um, now, when God does come, when He does send His Son, when Jesus Christ, who is the healer of our, not just physical brokenness, but more importantly, our spiritual brokenness, when He comes, He does three very important things. Number one, He heals the relationship that's broken by sin. Number two, he removes the cast. The cast is no longer necessary. That cast comes off because we were immobilized. We're paralyzed by that cast. Law-keeping paralyzes people. It doesn't help people walk with God. It paralyzes them. It cements them, and it, um, it fixes them in their sin and in their condemnation. You cannot endeavor to keep the law serve God through dead legalism, and at the same time walk with Him. And so He frees, having healed our relationship, number two, He frees us from the cast, and number three, He offers and gives us His inheritance of sonship. Those that receive Him, their sin is forgiven, they're delivered from the legalism of the cast, and they're given the gift of sonship his relationship with the Father. Now, Nick Champlin doesn't have his own relationship with God. What I have is I share Jesus' relationship with the Father. That's why my relationship with the Father is good, because I have his relationship. I have his standing, not my own. I don't wake up every morning and work through prayers or religious performances to build my relationship with God. Does that mean that some days I'm uh, that if some days I've, I'm fellowshipping with the Lord and walking close to Him and other days I'm not, that those things don't matter? No, they matter. But my relationship, my status is that I have Jesus' sonship. When the Father sees me, He sees me as accepted in the Beloved, accepted in Jesus Christ. So the third thing Jesus did was He gave us the gift of sonship, the relationship with the Father as a way of life. And I want you to think for a moment of the remarkable contrast. When you read the Gospels, you see the professional religious people, the professional cast wearers, the Pharisees. And you see Jesus, and you can see this dramatic, dramatic difference between the two of them played out. Whenever the, uh, whenever the religious people that are living under the cast, whenever they get slammed by life, whenever they're challenged, whenever they are, they are um, so to speak, confronted by problems, 
they doubled down on condemnation and they accuse one another and they become more arduous in their religiosity. But when Jesus is slammed by the conflicts of life, when he's challenged, everything that comes out of him is the father this and the father that. He responds to everything by my father told me. He spent the night up on the mountain talking with his father. With Jesus, everything is I'm walking with my father. The Pharisees, there's no communion with God. Every time they're in a conflict, they run back to the law and they try to figure out how could we weasel our way out of this or how could we make our situation better, but they can't because the law condemns everybody that's under it. And so they're really stuck in this curse and the Bible calls it the curse of the law. So what Jesus Christ gave us was freedom from the curse of the law so that we can live in conversation with the Father just as He did. That's what a Christian is, as somebody who lives in a daily conversation with the Father. Not somebody who just believes in Jesus or believes that Jesus was truly the Son of God or that Jesus died for our sins, but someone who uses that relationship with Jesus just as Jesus did. That is what a Christian is, is a person who takes advantage of the way of faith. And so that gift that Jesus Christ brought us here in Galatians is referred to as the way of faith. The law was given until the way of faith was given to us, and then the law was removed. So when God removed the cast, He didn't replace it with cast light or law light. When He took the law away, He didn't condense it and consolidate it and say, you know, that was a little bit much. You know, there was just, you see the size of the Old Testament? I'm going to give them something smaller, the New Testament. And I'm going to make it easy. Just love God and then love others. And that's going to be everything. You can do that. You can work on that. And so what the Lord had in mind was not to just consolidate the gospel of Jesus as another law and say, I need you to believe that and I need you to practice that. So it wasn't the law light or it wasn't a walking cast. We cannot walk with God simply by keeping ourselves slaves or subordinate to religious practices. So he doesn't replace the law with the law light, but what he does is he gives us the tried and true, faithful relationship, the 100% confidence of our acceptance in Jesus Christ. When we saw Jesus communing with the Father, he says, that's your gift. I will accept you in my son. And now you come to me, you talk with me, I talk with you, you can call me dad just as Jesus called me dad, and my throne is your throne. Mi casa is su casa, and that is the gift. Well, think about it. That was from the very beginning what was broken, and Jesus came and healed it. And so if we receive deliverance from the cast, we demonstrate it by what? Living in the throne room, living in fellowship with God, using our relationship with the Father by fellowshipping with Him. Somebody say, praise the Lord. So it's resting your entire confidence upon a daily, live, perpetual friendship and conversation with Jesus. That's what the way of faith is all about. So in other words, 
Faith doesn't refer to what you believe, but rather what you actually do in fellowshipping and talking with the Lord daily. Most people believe, and I, by referring to people or talking about Christians, they see their faith as a set of beliefs. But the reality is, is that faith is a privilege that's only real when you use it. So there's beliefs, and that's what they had when they were under the law. They had a set of beliefs, and many Christians really believe that, that God looks upon them and He checks to see if they're believing the right things. And in fact, if you go to different churches, they'll check you out based on whether you hold the right doctrinal positions. Because we, and I'm going to talk in a few minutes about caste mentality. It is the nature of people who have been broken and then freed. Sometimes freed slaves go back to Egypt. God could take the Hebrews out of Egypt, but he couldn't take Egypt out of the Hebrews. They went right back to what God had freed them from. And one of the things that I want to get back to want to get to you this morning is to free yourself from caste mentality. Move forward. Have a daily relationship with Jesus Christ. Make him your friend. Take him as your father. Avoid living inside the caste. But we do have a tendency, as I said, to look at faith as a set of beliefs. We feel like God is looking at me, and if I believe the right things, and then I go through the right rituals, then the Lord's going to bless me. If I don't do that, then, you know, God's probably not going to bless me. But the fact is, is that Jesus set you free so that you can come directly to him and talk with him about everything. On your way to work, it's not about going to church. It's about fellowshipping with Jesus. A lot of people have made going to church a cast. And once they leave and the service is over with, they're not talking to God until six days later when they're back in church again, you know, and they feel like, I'm good. I've, you know, I've ticked the box. And so faith is not what you believe. It's what you practice. It's what you actually do. It's a privilege. It's not an obligation. And so it's a privilege that God wants us to use. So beware of caste mentality. Now, for Christians today, we don't, uh, we don't keep the law, the law of Moses, which demanded certain restrictions of keeping the Sabbath and circumcision and dietary laws and uh, stringent ceremonial laws. I mean, Israel was absolutely paralyzed in a religious caste. As I said, designed to hold them until the Messiah came and set them free and they could follow him right into the presence of God. For Christians today, we don't look at the law of Moses as something we have to keep. So if we have caste mentality, what's our caste mentality about? Um, it's about reliance on formalism, reliance on religious habits. Habits are good, but habits are things that you pour your life in, not restrictions that dictate you with fear so that if I don't do that, all of a sudden, I'm not in communion or not in communication with God. So the point is that today what we do is we have these religious patterns that we've come to depend on. And I'm going to cite just a couple of them in a moment. But keep in mind that what Jesus came to do for us was to bring us 
into fellowship with the Father. So don't become attached to the cast. Think about it. Um, the cast can be any one of a number of conditions that we subject our faith to. Your faith is called the way of faith. It's a walk. It's a life. It's a breathing relationship that you have with the Father. And so you don't want to subordinate it to religious practices. It's, as I said, it's wonderful and important to have good habits. But those habits are not your relationship with God. Your relationship with God is your relationship with God. Church going, as I said, church going can become a caste and people either justify themselves or even condemn themselves based on church going. Man, I haven't been to church in six months. And so they tie to that an expectation, God's not going to hear me. The Lord's not happy to me. I missed church for three weeks or whatever it is. Is it good to, to fellowship and to be together with God's people? Absolutely. But again, even prayer can be a cast. Should we pray? We should pray without ceasing. Walk in fellowship with God continuously in conversation without ceasing. Practice a daily conversation with the Lord. Allow our thoughts to be in open communion. Practice the presence of the Lord in all that we do. Acknowledge Him in your heart. But we can even make prayer a cast. Many people stop praying because they don't like the way they sound when they pray. They feel like, I can't put together a decent religious prayer. They, don't, they, they think their prayers don't sound good. And therefore, God's probably going, oh, is that all you got? Um, and so they've made prayer a cast. And, or, or it can work the other way. People can finish praying and they could go, oh, man, I, I felt that. That was, I, could, I didn't even know I had that in me. Wow. And all of a sudden you feel validated and entitled to a blessing because you presented that case like a, like a Supreme Court justice. People pray sometimes like they're approaching the Supreme They lay it out like a lawyer. Now, God, in your word you said, da 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 And in this situation, blah da 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 there it is. And you build that case and you just set it out there and it's like, whew, God can't say no. He, I've got him. I've got him. He said this in his word and I said this and he knows that I've got him. You didn't have to do that. You had him already. You, you had him when you had Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? You had him when, if God were like that, the thief on the cross would have never been with Jesus that day in paradise because the thief on the cross looks over to Jesus as they're dying and he says, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Well, there's not a pastor in a church anywhere that would pronounce somebody saved because they just prayed that prayer at the altar. They'd, they'd say, well, that's a good start, but, but thank God that God's not man. You see, the Lord read the heart. Now, all that guy could figure out to say to God was, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. But see, the, he was having conversation with Jesus. His heart was reaching out. That's all that the Lord is looking for. And the Lord captured his heart and he said, 
don't worry. This is going to be over in a few minutes, and you and I are going to be entering eternity together. You will be with me in paradise. I love that. I love that about Jesus. That, that dude was dying. That was his dying moments in this life. That cast wasn't going to do him a bit of good. And the Lord didn't need it to reach him. And I, I'm so glad that that man felt confident to open his heart to God. And he didn't sit there and say, well, look at me. I'm on the cross. You know, beside this, this righteous man, I'm on the cross. I'm here because I'm a criminal. I obviously haven't been in church. So, you know, I have no right to talk to God. So people do this all the time. We make a cast out of church going. We make a cast out of prayer. Here's another one. We make a cast out of how we feel. How we feel. If, if when I pray, I feel really happy. If when I come into church and we're singing, if I feel awkward and weird, we allow our feelings to become a cast. And we, we allow the devil to rob us through our feelings rather than practice relationship with God. We say, well, I'm, fe- I'm feeling really weird. So because I'm feeling really weird, I'm feeling awkward, I'm, I'm going to have to go with that. Um, and the Lord is, for some reason, I can't quite figure it out yet, but I'm just not feeling right. So I don't want to be a hypocrite. And so I'm not, you know, I'm just going to go to the bathroom and then sneak out the back. I'm, I probably should have stayed home. Or when they pray, or they're having a little Bible study at home. Eh, mm, not really getting anything out of this. Uh, you know, um, you know, I've done this for three days. It's dry, or I don't know. There's some. There's a block. <laughs> and we allow those feelings. We we are clinging to the cast. You see, but the Lord said, "I've set you free from that." It doesn't matter how you feel. Your emotions, you know, they are what they are. But I have given you access to me. Just go for it. Just just press in. You think that because you feel all fashemeled, since we're in the Jewish <laughs> mode this morning, is flummoxed part of that Yiddish flummoxed? That's Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss is probably Jewish, I'm thinking, but fashemeled. So... We think, well, if I'm feeling all fashemeled and not quite right, that the, that, the, that the Lord somehow is impeding my prayer. But the fact is that the Lord says, look, I gave you access to my presence. Just talk it out with me. Just talk it out with me. Don't let your feelings tell you I'm not hearing you. Don't let your own sense of, oh, I'm not making sense, or I'm not making a connection, or I can't stand listening to myself pray because I sound so stupid. Um, I do that all the time. I start to pray, and my mind is, you know, drifting on, did I save that program on, what do they call that thing? DVR? Yeah, did I DVR that show? And I'm like, oh, Jesus. 
Do you, you understand what I'm saying? You, you go before the Lord and you're starting, oh, Father, I just come before you right now. And then all of a sudden the thought goes through your mind, the walking dead starting this Sunday. Did you DVR that? <laughs> Poor Barbara is like, what? The pastor watches this. Um, but the point is you understand at that moment we disqualify ourselves and we say, that's it, God's mad at me. Your emotions are disappointed with you. You may be disappointed, with, but the Father's there, and He loves you. You see, we need to grow up. It's childish to be dependent upon those little cardboard boxes to, to feel secure, to have to put yourself in. The adult grows up and takes the truth like a man, like a woman, and says, God said it, I believe it. And yeah, my, I shouldn't let my mind drift, but let me just pull things back together. Father, thank you for hearing me. I'm going to pray. I'm going to get into the Word. I'm going to fellowship with God. So you do walk in habits of fellowship with God, but those habits are not your law. They are you taking advantage of the freedom that Jesus has given you. And so you're not dependent upon those habits, either the habits of how you feel or, or your practices, but make use of what Jesus Christ has given you. And let me tell you, it's such a very, very simple message. The scripture says in the Gospel of John, chapter 10 and verse 9, and I'll close with this. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone comes to me, he shall go in and out and find pasture. You see, the law was all about you go in, mm, you're not supposed to be in there. Get out. Or you go out and it's like, yes, we're freed, we're out. Don't ever go back in there again. It was always about where are you in your position and what are you doing. Now, I'm not trying to say, certainly not saying, that, we're, that this discussion sits on top of moral guidelines of what's right and what's wrong. Those things are there. That's not what we're discussing this morning. We're discussing the practice of how you have a relationship with the Lord and how you deal with the tendency to be imperfect and at times broken on the inside. But the Lord has healed your relationship with God. Even if you are still dealing with broken things in your life or areas of your life that are less than perfect, your fellowship, your relationship is perfect. At times when I disappointed my mother and father, I didn't become 50% a son. And I'd work myself back up. Oh, you're at 75. Go mow the grass, 80. <laughs> I was 100% a son of my father and mother at all times. And they never stopped wanting me to grow up and have a good relationship with them. It was always about that. And as long as I understood that, I could work through my faux pas and my mistakes and the things that I did. And so when Jesus, have you ever read that where Jesus said, you shall go in and out. If you enter by me, you shall go in and out and find big green pasture and, and ever thought to yourself, go in and out of where? I used to wonder that. And for years I thought, what's he talking about? You shall come in. And I thought maybe coming in means come into the presence of God. And then go out. Why would I find? How, why would I go out from the presence of God and find green pasture? So what is being in and out of what? In and out of church, in and out of fellowship, in and out of habits. Life is a series 
of ins and outs and ups and downs. People say it all the time. Boy, life is a roller coaster. It's up and down, in and out. Just when I think I've arrived, somehow a back door appeared. I find myself blown out of that situation. <laughs> I'm on the outside again. So we're in and out of circumstances constantly in life. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I am the door. And it doesn't matter whether you're in or out. If you're in a good situation or you're out of a good situation, in a bad situation or out, it doesn't make any difference. You shall go in and out and find pasture. Why? Because you're not living in a cast. You're living in the way of faith. And faith is only real, not when you believe it the right way, but when you do it. It's made real by doing. Otherwise, faith is a figment of imagination. It's only real when it's being done. That's why the Bible says, now faith is the substance. When you get up tomorrow morning, you jump in your car, you're on your way to work, or you're in the middle of a, of a difficult day on the job or wherever you may be, the Lord is with you. He is, as the Old Testament referred to him, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord's presence is with you. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always, even on the end. So use that connection. Live in a conversation with God. Just talk to him all the time. Try using your voice. You can leave the these and thous out. If it makes you feel better, put them in. God doesn't care. Talk to him from your heart. Just speak to God. Just be in a living conversation with him. Don't shut him out. Keep him there. Everything else will work itself out. The ins and outs will come and go, but you ought to be having green pasture, whether you're in or whether you're out. Amen? All right, I want you to close your Bible. Stand with me this morning. As we close our time together, what I'd like to do is kind of just make an altar right where we are all standing. And I want to pray for everybody this morning, for your relationship and your fellowship with the Lord. Wherever you're at in your life right now, your relationship with God isn't something like a structure, a building that you have to build with religious materials so that it can be measured by levels. It is a living and an organic thing. And so wherever you are in your life right now, the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of your heart. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I know that we think of that verse as, as people who have shut God out of their life and the Lord's trying to get in. But this morning, I'd like you to think of it a little differently. I'd like you to think of it as you, in whatever situation you're in, the Lord wants in there with you in that situation. Can you think of it that way? Jesus wants to be in there with you. And to get him in there with you, just acknowledge and begin to talk with him. Bring him in. Because when you bring him in, you're letting healing in. You're letting deliverance in. You're letting peace in. You're letting connection and fellowship and all of his blessings. You're letting life in. Are you in a situation that has death, that has sickness, that has oppression? Bring him in. Let Jesus come in. Behold, I stand at the door. So I want to pray for your fellowship, your relationship with the Lord. Just put your hand over your heart. Just close your eyes.
Father in heaven, this morning, though we are standing in this sanctuary, we into whose heart you have sent your Son and the Holy Spirit resides. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and we are seated with you there in your throne room in heavenly places. Regardless of how we feel about it, we are there. Right now I pray for every man and every woman under the sound of my voice that the Holy Spirit of God will pour grace upon them. Let Him fill your heart. Let Him open you up to a fresh and a new experience in Him. Experiences in God are simply revolutions, passages of time, like a wheel that turns as your life goes on. The Lord wants to recreate a new experience with you every day, but He said, I will never leave or forsake you. I pray that your heart and mind will open. I pray for a fresh experience, a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I pray that the fresh manna, like the manna fell in the wilderness every day, that that fresh fellowship from God, you'll take it and you will fellowship with the Lord and you will walk in that walk of faith with the Lord. Talk with Him. Because if you're not living in freedom, in the freedom of faith, then to one degree or another, you are existing in the paralysis of a caste system. You're either fighting to get out of the caste or you're struggling to meet God in the caste. But the Lord is never going to meet you in that caste. He came to free you and to give you life. So come out and receive Him. Let Him fill you with His grace. Father, touch them, bless them. Let the anointing of your Spirit saturate into every cell of their body, every thought filter into their hearts, touch their emotions, lift them beyond the restraints and the limitations of their mind, and fill them with yourself, I pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, just open your heart. Let your soul say yes to Jesus this morning. Let your heart say yes to Him. Don't let the devil stand there before you and accuse you and tell you, that you're this or that, or, or speak to you about your condition because Jesus saw all of it 2,000 years ago. He has already put it under the blood. He loves you and He's come to have you. Let Him have you. Go with Him. Walk with Him. Talk with Him. Enter into communion and fellowship with the Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Father. Thank you for all that you are doing in our life. Would you just lift your hands to the Lord as I dismiss you? Now may the, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, may the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit, may His power lift you up and guide your feet along His path this week. May He be the health of your countenance and may His light radiantly shine through you to others. May whatever you find yourself engaged with this week be an opportunity as you fellowship with the Lord to see His wonderful works of deliverance. I speak concerning you a week of blessing, a week of fellowship with the Father. No matter what life brings, His loving kindness will be better than life. In Jesus' mighty name, God bless you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah.